The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Thank you, Gil. And good morning. I'm also happy to be here and to kind of explore this idea of stories. So today we're choosing stories from three particular discourses. I listed them up here, the Aganya Sutta, from the Diga Nikaya 27, the Chakavati Sihanada Sutta, from the Diga Nikaya 25, 26. sorry, 26, and the Kutadanta Sutta, which is five. Don't worry about these Pali words here. We'll discuss later what they mean and how to pronounce them, and even if they're important. Something like this. But on the next slide, I'm going to just give you a big, uh, giant overview of what we're talking about when we say the Diga Nikaya. So many of you know the Pali Canon. Yes? The volume is low. And maybe I'll make an effort to speak louder. (laughs) After that meditation, I was... Okay, so I'll, I'll try to speak at this tone to keep it even. Is that better? Okay. So most of you probably know the Pali Canon, which is kind of the sacred literature of this tradition, is, has three groups, three baskets, pitaka as we're often called. The first is the basket of the suttas. These are the discourses. These are the teachings that the Buddha gave. The second basket is the vinaya. These are the rules for the monastics. And often stories go with these rules to explain why a particular rule came into place. And then the third basket is the Abhidhamma. I put it up here as schematic classification of philosophy. It's, um, it's organized in a different way. It's based on the same teachings that are in the sutta, but they look at it in a different way and organize it in a different way. So there's these three baskets, and today we're focusing on the suttas. And then of the suttas within that one basket, there are five collections. This is the traditional order that the collections are listed. This doesn't mean this is the chronological order or the order of importance. This is just kind of by tradition. We list the Diga Nikaya first. That's the long discourses of the Buddha. Because, as the name sounds, they're long. Lots of pages, many words, long stories. The second is the Majjhima Nikaya. That translates as the middle-length discourses. This one is, has, uh, as the name suggests, is the middle length. Has, and this one has a number of suttas that we are familiar with. For example, like the Satipatthana Sutta that many of us that practice in this tradition are familiar with comes from this uh, Nikaya. As well as when Gil did a sutta study a number of years ago, it was on this one, on the Majjhima Nikaya. So this morning we're doing the first one, the Diga Nikaya. And then next is the Samyutta. It's the collection of connected discourses. That's where they take a particular topic and lots of discourses about a singular topic. The next is the Anguttara Nikaya, which are things as lists. You know how the Buddhists love lists. So it's a list of all fours, things that have fours, or all lists of things that have fives or something. And the last one is the Kudaka Nikaya, which is the minor discourses. 
Those of you who know the Metta Sutta, that's in the Kutika Nikaya. Or Gil recently translated the Dhammapada, that's also from the Kutika Nikaya. So that's kind of an overview of where we are. We're going to be looking at three discourses that are in the Diga Nikaya. So then on the next slide, I would like to just give a, a big overview of what is happening in ancient India. My objective here is not to be comprehensive, but just to provide a little bit of context so that we can better appreciate, understand, and enjoy some of these suttas that we're going to be talking about. Having this little bit of understanding, I think, will make a difference. So in the story that uh, Gil said earlier, uh, he introduced the idea that there were different castes. These are groups of people. That the um, thinking is that you were born in a particular caste, and there wasn't, and you would stay in that caste for your entire life. You wouldn't move between castes. And within a caste, there was an uh, expectation of what your role would be in society, what you would do. So the first one is katyas. This is in Pali, in Sanskrit. I can't remember, is Kshatriya. I've listed them here first on the top because uh, from the Buddhist or Buddhism or from the Buddha's perspective, this was the highest class. And these are the uh, rulers or protectors. These often are the noble people or the kings as well as the warriors as the one who would, uh, you know, defend the realm defend the kingdom. So that's the katyas. Next are the brahmins. These were the religious uh, individuals, the ones who were um, the keeper of the faith, who were the priests. That's kind of the priestly caste. And the brahmins considered themselves the highest caste. So if they were to put this list, they would have put them at the top. So we'll see this little bit of this tension between katyas the warrior ruling noble class, and the Brahmins, the religious class. And this isn't a new idea, right? Whenever you have individuals or groups that have a certain amount of power, there's always some kind of jockeying for position or something, right? This happens in modern history as well, kind of church and state, this kind of tension and cooperation and uh, the way that they work together or don't work together. And then third is the Vesas. Um, Gil just translated that as the working class. These are also like the merchants. And then last was the sudas. These are sometimes called the uh, servants or the artisans. So in ancient India, there's these four different castes. Also in ancient India, there's different religions. I put this word religions in quotes because I'm not sure that they would consider it religion. It was more just their way of life or their viewpoint or something like this. And as I mentioned, there's the Brahmins, and they had Brahminism. This is kind of like a precursor to Hinduism. And they had uh, the three Vedas. This was their body of sacred literature. And what Gil read earlier was from the Rig Veda, which is one of these three Vedas, one of the three verses, texts at that time. And also a big part of their uh, religious practice was sacrifice. Um, So they used to burn things or fire often as a way to... um, 
or was there part of their religious devotion? And often, while these fires were happening, they were um, chanting mantras that came from one of the Vedas. So the Vedas were memorized and chanted, and sacrifices were made. This was a big part of their religious practices. And then there's also the ascetics. These were individuals who kind of dropped out of society, who said, I'm not going to be participate in any of these castes necessarily. I'm going to go off on my own and find my own religious path. And you'll see that in the suttas, that uh, some of the Brahmins refer to the Buddha as an ascetic. He's somebody who's outside of the kind of the normal realm of things, of the or- normal organization. And then lastly, we have Buddhism, which the Buddha is teaching, is starting a sangha, is creating around there. So that was just kind of a little introduction to what uh, the context in which these stories that we're going to tell you. So our objective today is, when we explore these discourses, these suttas, is not to... Um, go line by line and say this is what they mean and this is how to interpret them. But instead, we've taken a particular um, viewpoint and a particular perspective, and we're going to share this with you with the idea that then maybe you would become curious and engaged or interested and maybe want to go back and read these suttas on your own. The one that Uh, interpretations and emphases that we are presenting this morning and this afternoon aren't the only ones. There can be other ones as well, but this is the one that we're choosing today. So, with that as kind of setting the context, I'm going to tell a story now too. So this is a story from the Aganya Sutta. And when Gail earlier was talking about sitting around the campfire, I was imagining that I had a cup of hot cocoa and like a blanket around me and that I was feeling cozy, kind of relaxed. And So maybe you'll have that kind of a feeling too. There comes a time when the world contracts and all the beings are reborn in a heavenly realm without bodies, flying through the air, feeding on delight, self-luminous, glorious. And this is the way it is for a very long time. And then there comes a time when the world expands and the beings are reborn into the world without bodies, flying through the air, feeding on delight, self-luminous, glorious. And at this time, the world is nothing but water and darkness. There is no sun, no moon, no stars. There is no day or night, no weeks or seasons, and no genders. The beings are just beings. And then the savory earth spreads itself across the water. Just like how warm milk 
cools and there's a skin across the top, just like that. And there was one being who had a kind of a greedy nature who looked at the savory earth and thought, I wonder how this tastes. The being dipped a finger into the savory earth and tasted it. Mmm, this is delicious. I want more. And this being started to eat more and more of the savory earth. And the other being saw this being eating, and they tried it too, and they thought it was delicious. And they started to eat the savory earth too. Soon all the beings are eating the savory earth. And the more that they ate, the coarser they became. And there started to be a differentiation between some beings that were beautiful and some that were not so beautiful. And those that were beautiful were filled with arrogance and conceit about their beauty. And due to this arrogance and conceit, the savory earth disappeared. Then mushrooms popped up, and the beings tasted these mushrooms, and they were delicious. They tasted like pure honey. Then a savory, then a being tasted these mushrooms. The other beings started tasting the mushrooms. They started eating the mushrooms. They feasted on mushrooms. And their bodies became more coarse. They became more differentiated. Some were beautiful. Some were not so beautiful. And those that were beautiful were filled with arrogance and conceit. And because of this arrogance and conceit, the mushrooms disappeared. And then creeper vines appeared. It's not surprising that beings started to eat these. They were delicious too. Even more differentiation, even more arrogance and conceit. And of course, the creeper vines disappeared. Then rice appeared. Without husks, easy to harvest. It would regrow as soon as you harvested it. That it, If you harvested it in the evening, it would grow again by the morning. So the beans, of course, started to eat the rice. And as they did so, they started to be differentiated even more. And soon genders started to occur. And the women, they became excessively preoccupied with men. And men... They became excessively preoccupied with women. And passion grew and lust grew. And because of this, they had sex. And some of those beings saying, what are you doing? How can you be doing this? And they throw cow dung at them and say, that is filthy. You shouldn't be doing that. So they built houses in which to hide their activities so that people wouldn't throw cow dung at them any longer. Then there was one being who was kind of lazy. And this being thought, why should I collect rice in the evening and then again in the morning? Why don't I just collect twice as much rice in the evening and then I don't have to in the morning? And this being did so. 
And then another being saw that first bean and said, oh, I'll collect enough rice for two days. And then another being said, I'll collect enough rice for four days. And we have houses now. I can store the rice, so I'm going to collect rice for eight days. And because of this, the rice started to grow husks and did not regrow so readily. It became a little bit more difficult to harvest. The beans lamented that now they had to work for their food. And so they said, let's divide the fields of rice and set boundaries. This will be for me, this will be for you. And then one being who was of a greedy nature took the plot of the neighbor. This plot was not freely given. And the other beings yelled at this, how dare you do so? You've done a wicked thing. Don't ever do that again. I won't, I won't, I won't. But he did. And he took what was not given. So the other beings decided to appoint a person that would be responsible for censuring those individuals who were taking what was not giving or who were lying And this individual would punish those who needed to be punished, show anger where anger was due, and banish those who needed to be banished. And in exchange, everybody else would give a portion of their rice to this being, the one who would show anger and banish and punish. So the name of this appointed person became the people's choice And that, my friends, is how katyas, this class of individuals, became known. And then there were other beings who said, I remember when we used to just be able to dip fingers into the savory earth, but, but because we've been doing these evil things, now it's more difficult. We are no longer going to do evil things. We are going to go into the forest, build leaf huts, and meditate. And that, my friends, is the origin of Brahmins. And then there were some individuals who said, we have these houses and we like to couple. We are going to stay in our houses and take up various trades. And that, my friends, is the origin of the Vesas, the merchants, the working class. And then those that remained took up hunting and other menial jobs. And that, my friends, is the origin of Sudas, of the, of the Suda caste. The end. <laughs>